experience from this church. And that is your ability to welcome, to greet, and to make someone like me feel very much at home. And so I have confidence that if you'll do this for me, you're doing it for others as well. And I just want to commend that to you. Because when you reach out to folks, when you share your heart, when you respond in faith, when you're open and transparent and you're caring and drawing others out, it really does communicate not just that you're a friendly church, but you're communicating a love that comes from God. Because most people know that in the world, friendliness is usually uh, an instrument of manipulation. We're friendly because there's something that we're trying to get. And so in the context of the kingdom of God, we're, we have the freedom to be friendly just because Christ first loved us. It is our joy and our privilege to love others. And whether they ever come back or not, whether they respond like we want them to or not, that isn't the issue. The issue is we get to give away what we have so freely received. So not only do I want to thank you for that, I just want you to know that I, I am very grateful for your pastors and their wives and for their uh, intense desire and craving for personal reality. When I'm with them, we're not just talking about the sports teams. We're not just talking about the weather. We're talking about what's going on in our heart. That doesn't mean that we're not having fun. We joke around. We mock each other. We play pranks on each other. We have a great time. But there's the, 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 the relationship is substantial in that we're talking about the things that are really going on in their lives. And, and what I get from your leaders, and I trust this encourages you to know, what I get from them are really important questions, deep questions about how can we more fully obey the Lord in some areas? How can we over, overcome sin in our life? How can we learn to be more effective in caring for those that are entrusted to our care? The bottom line is... These men and women really love you. And that affects me deeply. Because that glorifies God. This isn't just an organization where we're trying to impress people by how many people we have or how big our buildings are or our programs or any of that. It's a, it's a group of individuals who have been radically transformed by the power of the gospel. No credit of our own. The initiation initiative always being God himself coming together, being made into a family of believers, a household of faith. Desiring, earnestly desiring to live our lives for the glory of the Lord. And so coming here is just an absolute joy. And I am thrilled to have the privilege. I did want to give you a, a brief update about what is going on in some of the other churches in this region. Uh, the churches in Florida, the church in Nassau, the churches in Cuba that we've been working with now for several years, they are doing very, very well. All the churches have their own challenges. They have their own temptations, uh, situations they're going through where they're desperately crying out for God. Many of them have been through or are going through the same kind of situation you are with whole building project, process or other churches. It's other issues that they're they're dealing with uh, in the process of planting churches or raising up leaders or sending them out or issues of seeking God for revival or dealing with with uh, issues of sin in the church. There, there are they're all going through something. But they're all experiencing the joy of the Lord. And it is, it is just a privilege to, to let you know that the churches in Cuba, we've had many opportunities now this last year to be there with them. Um, 
the, the last time I was there was in November. And to have the privilege of sharing with them again, the, the purpose of that trip was really introducing them to the concept of prophetic worship, corporate worship, the, the gifts of the Spirit operating in a corporate gathering, which is something for them uh, had really kind of mis- misused a lot. And so it had fallen into disuse. And so it was a great privilege to spend time with them. And we taught the pastors all day long. And then each evening we would bring the church together and we would just have a glorious time as we watched the Holy Spirit just pour out his power and presence on those there. And they, they discovered that, that, that the gifts of the Spirit are something that God does. It's not something you work up emotionally. And so there was great joy and freedom as they were ministering one to another. They saw the Holy Spirit operating in those contexts. And one of the highlights for me was a couple of the local men had sessions as well that they were teaching. And one of the pastors that we've been pouring into now for four years, he had one session. He was teaching on humility. And he was basically saying to the other pastors, gentlemen, to be a part of this family of churches, humility is absolutely essential. And as I was listening, of course, I don't understand Spanish, so everything's having to be translated for me. As he's preaching his heart out, and as I'm hearing the translation, I started remembering specific conversations in these last four years or where we were at a location or in the car when these different subjects came up that he was actually preaching about now. And I can remember at times he would be very resistant and almost offended by some of the, the biblical principles that we were bringing to him and the application of those because it was just so different than what he had known in the past and what he had been exposed to. And now, after years and years of investment, not only did he accept it, uh, not only did he learn it, but now he's preaching it with conviction. And what really affected me was it was obvious this man is owning it for himself. And now what he's received, he's giving away. And seeing that happen in the lives of these pastors as we gather them all together in one city and then they go out to their 13 churches, uh, really literally from one end of the island to the other. And they are building local churches for the glory of God. And then also to encourage you, a new relationship has opened up for us in Haiti. And there are four churches there that we're beginning to get to know, starting to build with the elders of the churches there. Uh, have been there on a few occasions now. We're going to be sending a team this summer. And these churches uh, are just becoming friends. We're getting to know them, learning how we can best serve them. And because of the abject poverty in that, that nation, and because of the remoteness of the localities of these churches, not only are we going to be able to go in and spend time with the pastors and the elders and the Sunday school teachers in these churches, but we're also going to have the opportunity of sending in construction teams, sending in medical teams, and really helping them in very practical ways, helping them not only care for the people in those areas that really have no opportunity for medical care at all and have no resources for construction of various kinds, not only helping them in practical ways, but giving opportunity to meet people that they would never meet any other way or any other way so they can share the gospel. So you may have heard about Mission X. It's something that we do every two years. It's parents, teens, and young adults that go to uh, localities all over the world and some uh, uh, locations here in the United States as well. We're sending three teams to Haiti this year, a medical team, a construction team, and a team that's going to be working in the two orphanages there. 
Um, we're sending two teams uh, to Bolivia, a medical team and a construction team. We're sending a team to, uh, to Nassau this year to help with the rebuilding of the church there that we're involved with. We're sending a, a team to Wales to help uh, one of the churches there. I don't know if you remember seeing the mission video of the, of the church that meets in the castle. We're actually going to that church. They have an annual festival. We're sending uh, one of our worship teams there to provide all the music. And then our folks are going to be manning all these different uh, booths that they're going to have. It's a big festival they're doing to draw folks in. And we're manning everything so that their folks can be out there with the folks, sharing the gospel, greeting them, uh, making the most of that opportunity. So that's going to be a great time. And then we're sending a team to Niceville, Florida, a church that's, that's being built there. And then one of the teams is going to become coming here to serve you guys. Those assignments just went out in the last couple of weeks. And I've talked to several that are coming here. They are so excited. They're saving their money. Airfares are very expensive. And they're saving their money. And they just, they can't wait to get here. Because they want to give away what they've been given. And obviously, you know how wonderful that is for them to even want to do that. So, we are just thrilled with the things that we see God doing that we can't take any credit for at all. This is something that only he can do. Two years ago when we did Mission X, we had about 100 people that went. This year we were overwhelmed by over 200 that applied and wanted to go. And so we have been scrambling trying to work out all the details because you can imagine, especially international travel for that many people is just quite the challenge. I'd be tempted to say nightmare, but that wouldn't be good. It is quite the challenge. And so as you think, perhaps in the beginning of June, the first week of June, they'll be going to Cuba. And the last part of July, uh, the teams will be going to Bolivia and to Haiti. These are going to be very, very difficult trips. It's not going to be like Nassau. It's not going to be like Wales. It's not going to be like New Orleans. Uh, these are going to be challenging trips. They're physically challenging and, um, and difficult in many, many ways. And so if you just happen to think about those, those teams during that period of time and intercede for them, we'd be very, very grateful. Uh, my wife is not able to be with me this time. We have two teenagers at home. I keep saying that. My daughter just turned 20. I have a 20-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old son. And then we have two grown children who have three children of their own each. So we have six grandchildren. So Melody is at home doing what she's primarily called to do, and that is to care for the family. Uh, caring for me is a full-time job for her, so it's a bit of a respite for her for me to leave. Uh, but then she's caring for the children and the grandchildren, and she sends her love, uh, wishes she could be here. Uh, we're a few years away from her being able to travel with me wherever I go, but until our children are all grown, that's, that's a priority for her. So she sends her love. But uh, just to, to say that she, as I've talked with her each night, uh, she just expressed over and ago, over again how much she wished she could have been here and sense her love. Well, let's pray together and just ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father, when we consider how good you've been to us, we really just can't take it all in. We certainly don't know how to adequately thank you. We don't even know how to... Recount. We can't even remember all the marvelous things. Never mind adequately express the greatness of your love for us and our gratefulness that you didn't give up on us. Lord, in spite of the disasters that so many have experienced here in this area, you are turning what have been ashes into beauty. 
you're doing amazing things. And you're using even tragedy for good in individual lives and in opportunities to reach out. Lord, I think of the woman yesterday that I shared with in the service that had the opportunity of of inviting a Muslim to Alpha, a 28-year-old Muslim. And he accepted the invitation and he's coming. Father, that would have never happened apart from this woman being totally displaced from her regular routine, now in a job that's different and an opportunity in a local restaurant now to meet this man. Lord, your ways are amazing and wondrous. And we know in your economy, for her to go through all that she has to reach that young man is worth it from an eternal perspective. So, Father, I pray this morning, even as you have ordained this time for us to be together, you have drawn us all together. You have made it possible for us to be here. You've given us the will to be here. You've given us the health to be here. Lord, you've ordained these few moments for the kingdom of God to forcefully advance in our lives. You're not playing games. This is not just a nice, warm, fuzzy time for us to learn a couple of new things. You're serious about your kingdom being expanded in our lives. You're serious about us being conformed to the image of the Son, Christ Jesus. And Lord, we're so grateful that you are. And ask that you will help us not to daydream, not to minimize or rationalize, not to be defensive and argue in our hearts with your word. But instead, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to long for all that you have. Lord, I know that I do not have the words of life. I don't have anything to offer anyone here. But each scripture that is read, let it come alive by your spirit. Give us and grant us that precious gift of illumination that we might have the ability to understand not just simply the meaning of the words and the, the, the context of, of the, the sentences, but that you would open our eyes to see like you see. Oh, God. Renew our minds. Transform our thinking. Change us. Change us forever. We don't want just a little adjustment today. We want to change radically. And we know you can do that by your word. So give us the heart for that. And Lord, for everyone here that would be resistant to that, for those that are just kind of on the fence, they've been living for the world all week. Now they're here. They're torn between the two. They haven't really made up their minds as to who they want to serve. Lord, today, let them see the greatness of your kingdom and your glory. So that the things of the world would seem stupid and ridiculous to them as they see how great you are. Lord, Take away the blinders of deception. Young and old alike. I pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if someone was to ask you, what is revival? Or they begin to talk a little bit about revival. What are some of the first things that would come to your mind? Well, for me, growing up in the church and growing up in a Pentecostal charismatic church, the first thing I would think of would be a series of meetings. We used to have revivals regularly where we would, we would have someone come in and they would speak all day Sunday and then every night. 
and they might go for three or four note, three or four nights. And if there was a good response and they'd continue for another week and if there was a good response, they'd continue for another week. And and we would go to school or my dad would go to work every day. We come home, have a quick meal and we'd go right to the church building. And we'd have a wonderful time of worship and preaching of the word. And we would just have a series of meetings that were glorious. But we considered that revival. Sadly, because of that experience, many times we can we related revival to an emotional experience. The revivals are really good when we cried a lot or we were really, really convicted or we would have wonderful manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I say sadly because I believe that's limiting. Now, please don't hear me say that there's anything wrong with emotional experiences, with encounters with God. We see men and women all through the scriptures having these unique, wonderful, spectacular, supernatural experiences and and, uh, encounters with the Holy Spirit. That is a normal part of the Christian life. Normal in the sense that it does happen to believers. It happens from time to time. But what's sad about that and what's discouraging about that and what's limiting about that is that if we live for those unique, spectacular experiences, what's going to happen in our lives day to day? What are we looking forward to? And I grew up in a church culture where we always look forward to when it would happen. And we would pretty much waste the day while we're waiting for it to happen. Or sometimes we would see revival as an evangelistic outreach. But I'd like to share with you some things that I've been learning recently that are really affecting my life and and giving me much more faith for how I live my life every day, all day. Because I'm sure for you it would be similar. It is very easy to get into a routine, especially if you have a job that has some sort of similarity about it. Now, some of you may have jobs that, I mean, if you're an EMT or something, you may never know what's going to happen from one moment to the next. But if you're working for IBM, you know, you may have challenges along the way, but you pretty much are going to go to work at the same time and come home at a a similar time. And and you're going to face some of the similar issues because you have a job to do a specific thing. It's very easy with your job, with your family. You've been married maybe five or ten years and you're kind of getting it down what marriage is all about. Maybe you've had a child or two. And you're kind of getting into a little bit of routine. Maybe you're out of diapers now and and it's starting to get a little bit normative how you live your life. It's easy to live your life, get up in the morning and have absolutely nothing to look forward to. No expectation as to how God would want to use you in that particular day. And I would say that is a dangerous place to be. That is also a huge mistake. Because the Christian life is an adventure. You, you have the spirit of the living God dwelling in you if you are a Christian. If you're a genuine Christian, the spirit of God has taken your body as his temple. And he's with you every moment of the day. The Bible says he never leaves you, never forsakes you. What that means is, with the spirit of God dwelling in you, You have no idea what's going to happen next at any moment of any day. And literally anything's possible because he's capable of anything. You never know what he's going to do next. And you know what? I think that's a great way to live. You get up in the morning. One of the reasons we encourage devotions in the morning is because you're going to need whatever you have devotionally for that day. And you never know what the Lord's going to speak to you through the word or times of worship that you're going to need that very next hour or four or five hours from from now. 
And so we get up in the morning, we have a time with the Lord, we prepare our hearts, and then we head out to work, or we, we begin our daily activities with this prayer. Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm as ready as I can be. I'm weak in my own strength, but you're strong. Lord, whatever you want to do today, I just want to believe you for healings, for salvation. I want to believe you for opportunities to share the gospel. I want to believe you for opportunities to just simply be a, a good example to those around me. So, Lord, help me when I'm tempted to sin today. Help me to be an overcomer. Help me to deal with my sin biblically. And when I sin with others, help me to know how to go to them and make things right. I want to represent you well today because I am an ambassador of your kingdom. I'm representing you today. And you go out the day, you start your car and you go wherever you're going to go. And the closer you get, you realize, I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what he's going to do. But there's an expectancy. And that's based on this idea of personal revival. Here's a couple of definitions that might help you. They're in your notes. Richard Owen Roberts said, Revival is an extraordinary movement of God that produces extraordinary spiritual results. And so that fits both models. That definition fits both the model of some spectacular series of meetings or events. We've had uh, situations, uh, seasons among our youth in the last year where they'll be in there just their regular youth meeting. And perhaps during the meeting or after the meeting, some of the students will just begin to pray or they're, they're responding to the message, whatever. And the next thing they know, it's been five or six hours and they are drunk in the spirit. And they have been laying before the Lord for hours, just communing with him. Nobody orchestrated it. Nobody tried to make it happen. It's definitely spectacular. We're as surprised as anyone. But how grateful we are that God moves in amazing ways. Other times in the youth or other other gatherings, especially the youth, you know, they'll have a wonderful meeting and then they go and they're playing basketball and volleyball and everything seems very, very normal. But in these small group meetings and as individuals are talking with each other, again, the spirit of God is moving in different ways. You never know what he's going to do next. So there are the spectacular times, the extraordinary times, the times of spiritual results that that are just amazing. Another author said it this way, revival is that divine moment when God intervenes supernaturally in the lives of his people. But for our focus today, I'd like to use a definition from Ray Ortland's book, When God Comes to Church. If you have that, I'd highly recommend you read it. The subtitle is A Biblical Model for Revival Today. And he says this, revival is a season in the life of the church. When God causes normal ministry of the gospel to surge forward with extraordinary spiritual power. So the idea is this. You're living your normal life. You're doing all the things called upon you as a Christian to do. Those kind of things that we understand from Scripture would be the way a Christian is to live their life. And you're doing those things in faith. You're doing them with excitement and expectancy. You never know what God's going to do next, but you just keep being faithful in little things. And then every once in a while, when you least expect it, God blows your mind. You share something with someone that has never responded before. And all of a sudden you're like, what happened? 
They're responding. They're asking questions. They're, they're actually getting it. And you realize, wow, I'm watching God at work. Something unique and wonderful is happening. God just takes these normal things that we're doing and with a unique surge forward with extraordinary power, we just see a demonstration of God's blessing and God's goodness. You know, one area that I see that in your church is an alpha. I don't know if you ever get tempted to get tired of hearing about alpha. If so, I can understand why. It's a lot of work. It's hard. And it seems at times like it's just nonstop. But you know what? Our church in Orlando, we've tried to do Alpha about five different ways. We've written, rewritten the course three times. And we'll have maybe 30 folks show up for the first two or three times. And by the fourth time, those that are teaching or are sharing whatever, are just teaching to the workers because nobody's back. And it's been a real struggle for us. But what happens when you guys have a Alpha? It's like, what do you, how, how, how are you going to handle all the people? That is an extraordinary work of the Spirit. It's a unique move of, of God in this church. And we want to learn from you. And many churches have called to find out, how do you guys do this? Sadly, the response is, we don't know. God does it, you know. <laughs> Couldn't you just bottle it, you know? Couldn't you just market it, package it? You know, we'd be glad to pay, you know. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The context here is Jesus is in Galilee. Galilee. His enemies are actively seeking to kill him. And he's in Galilee at the time of the Feast of Booths. And those around him are telling him, you've got to get out of here. It's, it's a public event. There's people coming from all over. We know they're plotting to kill you. They're actively trying to find you so they can kill you. You've got to get out of here. And Jesus, amazingly, just simply obeying the Father, just doing what the Father told him to do, just very confident in God's sovereignty, looked at those that were worried about him and said, you know what, my time's not yet. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here. And so he went through the whole festivities of the Feast of Booths there in Galilee. And in verse 37, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried aloud. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, there's two things I'd like you to notice about this. Number one, he's, he's qualifying that those who say out of my heart flows rivers of living waters are those who are believers. This is a characteristic of a genuine believer. If this is not your experience, something is terribly wrong. I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to alert you to spiritual danger. If it is not your experience that out of your innermost being, it says in one passage, out of your heart is flowing rivers of living water. If you are not actively involved in the Spirit's work in and through your life, something is terribly wrong. 
And that means you need to repent and you need to seek God. You need to fast and pray. You need to talk to your pastors, your covenant group leaders and cry out to God for change. Do not let yourself just go day by day. Status quo, not feeling anything, not experiencing anything, not sharing your your gospel, never praying for anyone, just kind of being a bump on the log in the church. Or perhaps living as a hypocrite or perhaps living incognito and you're in among friends at work or in your neighbors, uh, the people in your neighborhood, and they don't even know you're a Christian. They would never guess you're a Christian. Well, you know what? If that's the case, I think it's healthy for there to be a serious question whether or not you are a Christian. Being a Christian isn't about just praying a prayer. Oh, well, I was eight years old. I prayed a prayer and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord. Now, I've been living like the devil ever since. But I prayed that prayer. You know, it terrifies me to realize that there are going to be those who think they're Christians. Stand before God on that great and terrible day of judgment. And they're going to say, I cast out demons in your name. Now, most of us can't even say that. And the answer to them is going to be, Depart from me. I don't know who you are. Yes, we are to have, because of biblical promise, we have assurance of our salvation. But that assurance doesn't rest in just some mystical hope. That assurance is rooted in tangible fruit. The Bible is very clear there, and I don't have time for this this morning, but, but there are very specific things in Scripture that are fruit of the gospel in your life. And if that fruit isn't there, something is wrong. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about having it all together. But he says here, out of the heart of the believer will flow rivers of living water. And I'd like to second, secondly suggest to you, this is a great definition of revival. Personal revival. That you are a Christian in whom, out of your innermost being, are flowing these rivers of the Spirit of God. Well, how do I know that's what it's talking about? Well, it goes on to say, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were about to receive, which was going to be the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus would not yet glorify. Now that was true of them then. For us, it's not true any longer because the Spirit has been given. We're on the other side. We are in the new covenant. Hallelujah. Isn't that great news? He is here at this very moment. And it is the normative experience for every believer that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Why? So that you can feel good about it, so that you can feel spiritual, so that you can feel superior to others who are not experiencing that? No. So that God will be glorified so that you're ready for the things that he opens up to you, for those divine appointments that he has for you. That when you face difficulties in your life, you're not just facing them in your own strength. Out of your innermost being are flowing rivers of living water. You're full of the Holy Spirit. And so whatever you have to face, you're you're kind of like David and Goliath. You're standing there and this monster is there. The guy is so big. He has to have someone carry his, his shield. And the sword would kill you if it just fell on you. And what does David do? 
Because of his experience daily out in the fields when no one was around and nobody knew what was going on. Because he had seen the power of God in those spectacular moments when he killed the lion and the bear with his bare hands. As well as the wisdom day to day to even lead that flock to green pastures and to find water for them. And seeing God lead and guide him on a daily basis. He could stand before the Goliath and basically say, who do you think you are? And that's what happens when we're full of the Spirit. We just live our lives day to day. We see some wonderful things. Our, our confidence is built and encouraged. But when we face the Goliath, we stand there and we know that we know that we know. And we look at that thing and we say, who do you think you are? You are no match for my God. And when you face sin, your own personal sin, the Goliath, perhaps, of your sin, a besetting sin, you can look at that thing and say, God's grace is sufficient. My sin is no match for his grace. I am going to be sanctified through and through. I am one day, by God's grace, going to be glorified. I am going to experience freedom from sin. And so I want you to understand that the scriptures are are telling us about this coming of the spirit. We know that has already been happened, has already happened. The, the new covenant has come and you don't need to turn to it. But Matthew chapter 11 says that since that day, from the days of John the Baptist until now, Jesus said the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. And basically what I see there is that since that great revival on the day of Pentecost until this very moment. The kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. In other words, a revival was birthed on the day of Pentecost that has not ceased around the world for one moment throughout history from that day until this. Don't you want to be a part of that? Or do you just want to make more money and have nice vacations and wear comfortable clothes? No, no. We want to be a part of revival, don't we? We want to be a part of what God's doing every day, all day. So think about it this way. Since the day of Pentecost, nonstop, day and night, for these thousands of years, all over the world, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. We get to see this in many, many ways in our lives. But it's important for us to realize that instead of us thinking about revival as, again, a series of meetings, it's also not something that you and I can make happen. In other words, we can't pray hard enough to try to make revival happen. One author said it this way. God causes it. We do not. Revival doesn't happen because of something that we do right. Or it doesn't happen if something because we're doing something wrong. If you read about the great revivals, I can't think of a case where those who are in the middle or at the very beginning of any revival would say, you know what? We prayed. We made it happen. In every case, they are as surprised as anyone. They can't explain it. They're certainly enjoying it. But they can't give you a formula of how to make it happen because it's not about us. It's about him. In other words, I'm just faithfully serving day in and day out. And I never know when he's going to do the work that only he can do. Now, I do have a part to play. I have a responsibility. And that is to be faithful. Ortland said it this way. I think it's in your, new, your notes. Revival is the normal ministry of the gospel, not something eccentric or even different from what the church is always charged to do. 
What sets revival apart is simply that our usual efforts greatly accelerate, accelerate in their spiritual effects. So you're doing some of the things you've been doing sometimes for years and years. And all of a sudden there are extraordinary results and you never know when it's going to happen. You never know. And so you live your life kind of on the edge of your seat. Now, another author, Brian Chappell, in the book, The Wonder of It All, which, again, I commend to you. In his last chapter, which is really worth the price of the book, he said something that just shocked me. And I trust it'll have a good effect on you as well. He said this, no force or any other means contributes more to the building of Christ's kingdom and the destruction of the dominion of darkness than, and you know, you've got to stop for a moment. Before you figure out what he says, it's important to think about, of all the things this author could say, would be the most important aspect of building Christ's kingdom, the most important aspect of, of what it means to destroy the dominion of darkness. What would he say? What kinds of things could he communicate? Because I was really affected by what he actually said. No force nor any other means contributes more to the building of Christ's kingdom and the destruction of the dominion of darkness than your personal daily commitment to honor Jesus in the place where he has called you to live, work, love, learn, struggle and even play. There is nothing more powerful in all of the arsenal of God's weapons than you living your life for the glory of God on the basketball court, in your office cubicle, in your classroom, when you're alone on a business trip, when you're in your, your room doing homework, when you're hanging out with friends. Who you are daily is the most powerful weapon God has to reach this world. I'm sure you've heard it said that we're going to reach the world one person at a time. How does that happen? It happens through one person, you. You uniquely have a world around you. You may have a lot of folks in this in this room and and even outside this room that you are interrelated with or or you have friendships with. But every one of you have a whole group of people that you know that none of the rest of us do. Why is that? Well, because God has sovereignly placed you in the place you are so that you can be his ambassador, his representative to every person that you know. And think about it this way. With those individuals, one of two things is going to be their reality as a result of knowing you. If you're a faithful witness, if you're a faithful ambassador of the Lord Jesus, and again, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about having it all together at all. In fact, I, I think my friends and my acquaintances learn more from my sin and how I deal with my sin than any good things that I do. Because that's reality. <laughs> But two things are going to happen. Either they're going to respond by God's grace to the gospel that you share with them, you declare to them and demonstrate for them. Or God's going to be justified in destroying them. Now, I don't say that with any kind of glee, but understand that God is a just God. And he's going to make sure that every individual, 
Everyone that is cast into hell has no excuse for not obeying him. That everyone is going to have opportunity to know him and will have had opportunity to accept or reject him. And those who reject him, they will be punished for their sin. Now, how does God do that? How does he get them to a place where they have no excuse? You. They experienced you. They saw your life. They heard the gospel and they chose not to obey, not to follow, not to believe. And so when they stand before God, there will be no excuse because if they try to bring an excuse, the Lord is going to remind them that you were in their life. Can you see the responsibility we have for those around us? Now, this is not the kind of responsibility that condemns us or terrifies us. It doesn't put this heavy weight of their souls on our backs, literally, because only God can save by his gracious power. But we are responsible It does matter how we live our lives. And we are representing the kingdom of God one way or the other every day of our life. Have you ever wondered, I mentioned this yesterday, but have you ever wondered why some folks don't accept your invitation to church? There are times that people don't accept our invitation simply because they know us. They know how you complain on the job. They know how you take disappointment. How when other people in the office sin against you or mess things up and how you react. And then you invite them. And basically they would say, I don't want what you've got. I don't want to be like you. They hear ladies talking about their husbands in very disrespectful, derogatory ways. They hear husbands talking about their wives in derogatory ways. Why would they want that? What do you have to offer them? We had a Jehovah's Witness come to our door one day and it was a, a lady and her teenage daughter. And I was interacting with them a little bit. She obviously didn't know as a pastor and I was just wanting to see you know, what she believed. And, and I knew I couldn't argue doctrine because they were so she's so well trained to answer every question. I just simply asked her a question. I said, do, do, do your faith and your relationship with God, uh, do you believe in healing? And she said, no, we don't. And I said, well. Ma'am, you know, respectfully, I have been healed. I would be in a wheelchair today with polio if it hadn't been for the healing power of God. I wouldn't even be alive today because I've been healed of cancer. Ma'am, you know, respectfully, I I don't I don't want your faith because it doesn't have anything to offer me. And then I asked her a question because I was hope I knew I didn't really expect to get through the mom, but I was hoping I might get get to get get through to the daughter. I asked her, I said, let me ask you a question. If your daughter was sick. Would you pray for her to be healed? And the woman looked at me and looked at her daughter and said, no, I wouldn't. I said, well, then, ma'am, you know, I, I believe the God of, of scriptures is a healing God. And and I said, you know, I, I really respect your zeal and your work and going from door to door. But I just tried to share briefly the gospel with her. And my hope is that when that teenage daughter is walking down the sidewalk to the next house, She says, wait a minute, Mom, what's the deal here? You see, those around us need to see something in us. And again, it's even in our struggles. They need to see something in us that's uniquely Christian and not just religious. They need to see reality. 
And so the encouragement I have for you today is the real power of revival lies in how you live your life hour by hour, minute by minute. We don't have to sit around and wait for those exciting moments or those great meetings. You don't have to wait for a great evangelist to come to town to have a a great experience of revival. You can experience this day in and day out. In your notes, there's one of the authors said for Christ followers who see with his eyes, which is the qualifying statement there who see with his eyes, this perspective of personal revival grants deep satisfaction because these changes that affect the eternity of the, at the heart level are what revival is all about. The power of God for reformation and revival will flow through you as you resolve today to know Jesus and him crucified above all things and among all others. You don't have to be a super evangelist. You don't have to be supernaturally gifted publicly. With the gifts that you've been given, with the abilities and talents that you've been given, and the people that God's brought into your life, you are in a unique place to glorify God and represent Him well. Where you're experiencing, as Chapel said, the infectious faith that sparks revival resides in our personal commitment to know Jesus above all else in the place God calls us to live and to work. Now, it's really just this this simple. Revival, personal revival, is about doing what you know to do. You see, most of us, when it comes down to, we really are kind of, the deception falls away and we say, you know what, I really haven't been living my life for the glory of God as, as I know I should and I desire to. And, and you know, I really want to change. What should I do? We all have the answer already. Do what you know to do. You know that you are called to be faithful in prayer and spiritual disciplines. You know that you're called to study the scriptures and to reach out to the lost. You know you're called to give and to serve. You know you're called to care for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know that you're called to to share hospitality with believers, but also with strangers. You know that you're called to declare the gospel to others. Just do what you know to do, and you are on your way to experiencing personal revival. Orland said it this way. I think this is the last long quote in your notes. We need to look carefully into the Bible... Because our, expe- our expectations of God may be too small. Our desire is too flat. But the scripture boldly insists that God does whatever he pleases. He does not limit himself to our routines, methods, and traditions. Revival is, by definition, an extraordinary work of God. The biblical vision of our reviving, uh, of our reviving God is breathtaking. So if we accept the authority of Scripture, we will have to enlarge our concept of what God can do for us. The Bible refuses to give aid or comfort to the impulse that would strangle authentic revival. It challenges us. It challenges us all to get rid of our rinky-dink ideas of God and think bigger, bolder thoughts of Him than we have dared to before. And then he says this, and again, he's, he's ending up and, and trying to bring things together. He says, my ultimate aim is, is to persuade you that revival is a valid biblical expectation so that you can join me in praying that God would render the heavens and come down in our generation. We cannot trigger revival, but we can turn away from the things that clog up God's work. I love that. 
I can't make revival happen. But by God's grace, I can deal with things in my life. And I can be involved in the lives of my friends as they want me to be involved to, to deal with those things that clog up revival, that get in the way, that hinder. He goes on to say, we can devote ourselves to the normal ministry of the gospel in such a way that we give him no reason not to empower it mightily. Above all, I want you to be encouraged in God. In God. We must never give up and never give in because he is able. This idea of what do I do? Well, the normal things that I know to do. Let me just start there and see what God does. But let me make sure that there's nothing in my life that's hindering those extraordinary things that God wants to do. Sometimes that's just simply a matter of being alert and being expectant. I'm convinced that there are many opportunities I've had to share the gospel where I didn't share because I just wasn't paying attention. It was all set up. The timing was perfect. And I had other things on my mind. I wasn't expecting it, wasn't looking for it. And I missed the opportunity. And that grieves my heart. Not in a legalistic way, not where I'm carrying this burden like I've got to be perfect and always do it right. But just think of the opportunities we've missed because I just was preoccupied with how I felt at the moment. Instead of the discipline, working hard, forcing myself to think about where are those opportunities? Recently, a friend of mine um, did something that just really inspired me. I mean, it was just such a simple little thing. And I've done this several times now and just found it to be very productive. You're at a restaurant, your waitress comes. You know, sometimes you have to have the opportunity of sharing with them. But many times it would actually be an infringement on their work to take a lot of time with them to share the gospel with them. And so we do need to be careful of that. And so I've, uh, my friend just, um, when she'd taken our order, came back to refill our drinks or whatever. And he said, excuse me, before our food gets here, it's our custom that we, we like to pray and thank God for our food before we pray. Is there anything specific that we could pray for you when we're praying for our food? No big deal, not really confrontational. Is there anything specific we could pray for you? I've been shocked. I would expect people to just go, no, get out of my face. Leave me alone. And actually, it's only happened one time. One lady, she was really funny. She, she was a bit taken back. She looked at me a little funny. Uh, my, my wife and I were out on a date, and she's, you know, uh, just not expecting that at all. And she goes, uh, no, no, thank you, but uh, that was very nice. That was sweet. <laughs> but every other time, individuals have stopped and said, you know what? I, I'm getting ready to do this, or I'm going to have a test tomorrow. I'm just a, Would you pray? And so we just pray over the meal. And inevitably, when we say goodbye, there's a thank you for praying for me. Now, is that a, I mean, are they falling on their knees and confessing Christ as Lord? No. But how I have no idea the effect that might have. It's something small. It's something easy. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. And as we close here, what's God asking of you? What are those normal day to day things that you already know you should do? That you can obey right away. But also, what are those rinky-dink ideas that you have of God? What are those silly little ideas that limit Him in your eyes? And I'd encourage you to just spend some time alone, perhaps as a husband and wife, maybe singles get together. And just think and pray 
big thoughts about God. Now, I'm not, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not trying to, you know, get you to think positively and, and just get you all hyped up and all. No, this is reality. This is day-to-day life. Let's think great thoughts about God. When you're looking at the mirror, I hope you look in the mirror before you get ready in the morning so that you can present yourself a little better for the rest of us. But uh, when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, could you just look into your own eyes and say, Lord, I am looking forward to what you have for me today. I'm expectant. And you may not think about it again until you get home. And you think, oh, what a failure. I never thought about it again. That's okay. You started somewhere. Because you do it again the next day and the next day and a little bit later, you'll think about it in the middle of the day. And you can train yourself to live this way. And when you're with the Lord, whether it be in your devotions or whether it be in corporate gatherings, let none of us live our lives with no expectation. Just sing songs mindlessly. We were on the retreat with the leaders this weekend and Thursday and Friday. And uh, one of the men quoted, he didn't say who the quote came from, but the quote was that Christians lie the most while they're singing worship each Sunday. Let that not be true of us. That I'm singing words that I don't mean. Singing words that I don't believe. And when I realize that I'm singing things that I don't believe, it's not that I stop singing, it's that I repent. It's not that I back off and not do anything, it's that I change by the grace of God. I deal with the sin. I identify it and I go to the cross and I let the blood of Jesus cover that sin and then I move on in what God has for me. Experiencing personal revival. The challenge for us today is to let these living waters flow from deep within. And so I'm intentionally uh, stopping a little bit early this morning because I just like for us to have some some time here as the worship team comes to just wait on the Lord. And just seek his face. I don't know if this is your case or not, but um, it is very easy for us to be so busy all the time. And even when we have a little bit of downtime, I've got my iPod on. I've got the TV on. I've got the radio on. It's just not that often, unless I'm disciplining myself, that I just stop without anything better to do, without anything else in my mind or thinking about where I've got to go or what I need to do and just wait on the Lord. And so could we just take 10 minutes or so? And in our minds, say, I've got nothing better to do right now. I'm not going to think about what we're going to do in a few moments. I'm not going to think about lunch. I'm not going to think about who I need to talk to about this or that. I'm just going to focus my attention totally on the things of God. I want to receive from him. You can sit, you can stand, whatever's most uh, comfortable for you, what's least distracting. But the worship team's just going to lead us in some songs where we can just meditate on him and receive from him. And if the Lord convicts you of some things, don't be discouraged by that. Understand, you have an advocate with the Father. You have one that's right now sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for you. So when you confess your sins, you are agreeing with God. You're responding to God. You're obeying God. The Bible says if you are, if you're willing to confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if you're convicted, repent. And as you repent, enter in into the joy of the Lord. And as you, as you think about this concept of personal revival and what it means for you as an individual, 
Just take these moments to not think about your wife or your children or other people. Think about you. Drink in deeply what God has for you in these next few minutes. And let's see what God would do. If the Lord would give you something prophetically, please come to uh, one of the pastors and let us know. If the Lord would want to speak to us in that way, that would be wonderful. But mainly, let's just receive. Let's wait. Let's listen. Let's hear what the Spirit of God would say to His church today. Eric? I'm 
touches our lives. And right now, uh, you may be in a different place than the person next to you. I believe there are some people right now that the, what the Spirit of God wants to do is to fill you with a sense of conviction. I believe for some, allowing God to probe the areas of resistance, the areas of waywardness, the areas where you have not found God very interesting and something else has been very enamoring, I think filling by the Spirit for you right now would be the realities of those things being touched and animated and becoming something that you want to see God deal with. I believe there are some here who the filling of the Spirit of God would be for us to lay hands on you and for you to receive the empowerment of the Spirit in a, in a fresh way. For some, that may be the beginning of the greatest change that you're ever going to experience in your life. As so I was listening to Danny and I was considering a passage in the Old Testament where Samuel informed Saul 
how he's about to encounter the Spirit of God. And he says, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you and you're going to become a different man. And Saul experiences the immediate presence of God. And he begins to prophesy. People are amazed. They know this is different. This is unusual for Saul. Well, you know, that's a dynamic of the Spirit of God. That's a dynamic of the presence of God. God comes that way. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. So really what Danny was speaking of today really is it's a ministry of the Spirit. Revival is a ministry of the Spirit. And what I'd like for us to do, some, some need to remain where you are and pursue the filling of the Spirit of God as a means of receiving conviction that won't let you leave that issue alone any longer. It could be the greatest filling you could possibly receive right now. Others are needing to receive the empowerment of the Spirit of God. And I'm going to ask if, if that's you, needing to receive empowerment for ministry. Maybe you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're not even sure about what that is. Well, you don't have to have a degree in understanding it to be able to receive from God. It's just really a heart surrender and say, God, you got anything else to give to me, I want it. If that's you this morning, I ask you to, to come out of your seat and come forward. I'm going to ask Danny to pray for you, for you to be able to receive this morning the empowerment, the infilling of the Spirit of God. If you've ever received that or you feel like, God, that, that's, that's a distant memory. The presence of God has been foreign to me. Come down and let us pray for you before the team goes back on another song. Let's pray for you to be filled with the Spirit. In the way in which the Bible instructs us, lay hands on one another and pray for one another. So we're not inventing any techniques here today. We're just embracing what God has for us. If you're, if you're not familiar with being prayed for that way, um, that just would indicate that perhaps you haven't been in a setting where all the Bible has been fully embraced. This, this shouldn't be peculiar. It's normative. The Bible tells us it's going to happen. God says it's his intention to do it. So if experiencing the presence of God by the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that you're aware of or sure about, if you just want God to draw near to you, to give to you that way, come. Come, just open your heart to Him. Say, God, here I am. I'm available. I'm wanting to receive that from you. And I have the, have the pastors that, that are here to come on. Phil, if you come on down and pray with us, with these guys. As the worship team continues to lead us, I ask for more. Is there anybody here who would honestly say, I'm, I'm cool, I'm good, I don't, I don't need any more, I'm all right. God, thank you for the offer, but I'm really okay. I don't think there's anybody here who's saying that. Everybody who's come today is saying, God, we've come because we want more. So, Lord, would you give us more? If, if I'm needing more conviction, God, would you give me more conviction? God, if you're needing me a greater sense of holiness, would you give me more of a sense of holiness? God, if you want me to be under the influence of the awesomeness of your presence, God, would you give me more awe? God, overwhelm me with the greatness of who you are. God, if you want to awaken in me a sense of vision and calling and purpose, God, give me more.
God, I don't want to stand still any longer. God, I don't want to wait in the things that you're about in my life. God, I want to move forward. I want to lay hold of the purpose that you have for me. God, I don't want to be timid any longer. God, you've not given us a spirit of fear. God, you've not given us a spirit of timidity. God, in this world, the kingdom of God advances with great force and the violent lay hold of it. God, we want to be those who are aggressively after your kingdom, moving from one place to a new place. God, today, visit us. Bring the awakening of your spirit into our midst. God, each of us, individually, God, we're not just asking you to do something here or something over there. God, we want it in our hearts this morning, awakening, refreshing, and touching us with your very life. Oh, Lord, we want to live in the the day in which you revive your people, which you bring special works of grace. God, where you come and what's, what's biblical becomes more and more frequent. God, bring your power, bring your presence, bring your nearness. Call us by name this morning. Be specific, Lord.
I will worship you with all of my strength. 